Kalimerhaba, everyone. Welcome to the 10th episode of Sesta and Island Talks podcast. This is Meltem calling from Famagusta. I am thrilled to be hosting this very special 10th episode of Sesta with very special guests from Australia and Cyprus. This 10th episode is part of Sesta's Buffer Friend special series. Today, I'm accompanied by the Buffer Fringe's second day curators, Bryce Ives, Kat Katz, and Maria Vanakidu. As co-founder of the Present Tense Ensemble, Bryce Ives created a unique body of performance-based work and collaborated with some of Australia's most significant arts organizations. As director of the Arts Academy Ballarat, he led one of Australia's leading creative arts schools. His experience also includes programming and artistic leadership, acting as artistic director of preeminent independent performance venue theatre works and artistic director of the Fairfax Festival across the Svanhill Mori Mali region. Outside of performance, Bryce has been a broadcaster on radio and television. Kat Katz is a writer and dramaturg who writes for stage, screen and live art. Her works have been performed in Australia and internationally. Kat holds a master's in writing for performance and has trained alongside renowned Australian artists Jenny Kemp, Raimondo Cortese and New York artists Sybil Kempson, Mac Wellman and Seven Daughters of Eve. Maria Varnakidu is a Cypriot theatre director who was born in London but currently lives in Cyprus. She studied modern drama at Brunel University and then completed her master's degree in theatre directing at Royal Holloway University in the UK. She has been working in theatre and film work for the past 10 years with various types of projects. Her interests include device theatre, immersed theatre, community theatre and creating work for social change and critical thinking. She was one of the creator directors of the Buffer Fringe Festival 2020-2021. Dear Bryce, Kat and Maria, thank you very much for joining me today at this very special 10th episode of SESTA. Bryce and Kat, you're joining us from Australia. It is such a pleasure to be hosting you. A warm welcome to you all. Congratulations, the 10th episode. How cool is that? (laughs) Thank you. Yes, it's exciting. I'm nearly emotional. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like like balloons should be falling from the sky right now around you. (laughs) (laughs) I wish, but that's the the terrible part of online working. So let's begin with no further ado. Actually, let's start with the basics here. In my experience, and please correct me if I'm wrong, it is still abstract for many people when we talk about this profession of a curator, particularly if people are not from the field of arts and culture. And with regards to Buffer Fringe, you are day two curators. So what does a curator generally do? And specifically, what was your role in the organization of Buffer Fringe 2022? Oh, gosh, I mean, that is the $64,000 question, isn't it? Like, what, what does a curator do? And, and how do you define a curator? And I mean, I think that, like, different people have different interpretations of, like, of, of what what that that term means but like at at its essence you know like it's about considering and and constructing a story from a range of sources so I mean if it's in the context of a festival you'll have a range of artists and works to to consider and to look at and I mean lots of fantastic artists and works when it comes to a festival like Buffer Fringe but um you have to narrow down and, and create an experience. And I think 
what's interesting for Maria and Kat and myself is that like we're all really interested in dramaturgy and theatre, you know, like as theatre directors and, and writers and theatre makers, you know, the arrangement of ideas, the arrangement of works. What if this work happens next to another work? What if this performance takes place outside and another work takes place, you know, in the foyer and, and, and what ideas emerge? And so, I mean, I feel like perhaps we would share a collective definition of, of curatorship and we would probably connect it a little bit to dramaturgy and a little bit to arrangement as well, like to actually... I connected a lot to those things. <laughs> yeah, create a story, create an experience yeah. with a beginning, middle and an end um, or to arrange a set of ideas. Arranging, you know? I think the words that come to mind for me are, are shaping, uh, framing as well. How do we frame the works by these artists in a certain way in order to create a certain experience for whoever attends. Maria, how do you define it? Um, I keep thinking that um, because uh, for our day, the interesting thing is that we are three people curating one day. And I think that that's it. that was a great challenging to start off. But um, amazingly, um, us three connected really well. So the fact that we had to choose um, the, uh, to, to, to look at the applicants, to kind of co-create, because co-creating can be challenging when you have artists, uh, different people trying to create one thing. And um, I think, yeah, I agree. We, us three, worked really good together because we had a common... Um, vision of how we want to 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 kind of mix all the things together and end up coming to one thing that it was the core thing that um, mirrored what we felt that we want to um, use this day to be explored in. If that's if that makes sense, so I think one thing that helped us three continue our steps was that. We read the applications and we said, okay, what do we want to highlight? What, what, our what, what do we want our day to, to, what do we want people to feel when they walk in that second day? And we came up with a, not a title, but kind of a premise of the, the, the day we want to create. Um, and yeah. And I, I think though also like that other word then it's just stuck out as the co-create mm. word because actually, um, I mean, I think there's lots of brilliant artists, but not not every artist can also be a curator. Um, some artists are very singular in their kind of perspective or um, this is what I do and this is how I see things and, you know, and, and, and that's of course absolutely fine because of, they make extraordinary work. But, you know, like when you're curating actually, it has to be collaborative and it is an act of co-creating. And it's really strange because Maria's like on the other side of the world from us. And so like we totally shouldn't be able to collaborate mm. as well as we do. Um, but, and we've had to use lots of kind of methods. Like sometimes we're just text messaging each other kind of random ideas or words or at three in the morning, three o'clock in the morning <laughs> our time. Or, um, <laughs> Sometimes, like Maria, you know, will be like, "Good morning," yeah. and I'm like, mm, "I'm going to bed, Maria." Bye. 
but also like we have we have to step in for each other from time to time because the time zones don't always work or, and like it is it's co-creating I think as well the other thing that I will add uh about this idea of curating is that actually it's so much more than just looking at a whole lot of different performance works and choosing your favorite mm. you actually can't do that uh what you unfortunately i mean we'd all love to do that but you can't because what you need to think about is okay we've got this work over here and it's about this but what does it need next to it in order to shine and then in putting this other work next to it what am i actually then doing because audience members are smart. We really can't underestimate how clever audiences are. As soon as you put two things side by side, they will make a connection. And so it's up to you as the curator to kind of plant the seed of the connection that you want them to make. Mm -hmm. And your answer actually brings me to my um, second question because like like all of you have explained, I mean, you are you co-created, you constructed, you were shaped uh, a story from a range of other stories which have to fit with each other. And of course, these stories themselves had to comply with the theme Pockets Beyond. What stories from which artists can we expect to see on the second day of Buffer Fringe? And as curators, I mean, what kind of an impact do you want to create through these works? particularly given the specific political geography of Cyprus? Hmm. I mean, we, we, our day is in two parts. So it begins at sunset, which is really on purpose as well. So it's 6.30 p.m. in the evening. And it begins with a work called Poetics of Space, which is a dance theatre study work and really around the perception of space and the concept of intimacy. And that sort of goes alongside, uh, and that's a Greek work, that goes alongside a work from France, which will really invite audiences to listen and to dance to poetry and sounds, a really beautiful work called As We Drove Short Horizon Lights. And I don't want to give too much away, but other things happen in part one as well. So, you know, like there are these two two works that anchor part one and, and, and you know, and of course straight away with Buffer Fringe, here we are in Cyprus and we're seeing a work from Greece and a work from France, you know, like that's there. And, and, and also this French work has uh, quite an extraordinary ensemble of, of, of artists who are involved, you know, like from around the world as well. In the second half, the entire tenor of the day like shifts entirely with um, a, a Greek Cypriot work, Polydrama, you know, which is really an interdisciplinary musical performance on queerness, tradition, social fight, darkness and light. It Like we're expecting quite an emotional um, experience in this, so a live music experience. And then the evening finishes with you know, like what would have to be one of my favourite um, music acts probably ever, which is the Amalgamation Choir, which is a Cypriot choir of 20 female voices. 
And like, as someone who's had a huge background myself in terms of music arrangement and sound, um, I think that the Amalgamation Choir is, you know, like can create primal sounds, um, ecstatic sounds, can create transient experiences just through the human voice. And then, of course, you know, this is like political without even saying anything, 20 female voices, you know, like um, also bringing a Cypriot sound, you know, like story, song. Um, Like that second act, you know, with the polydrama and the amalgamation choir is also going to be exceptionally immersive because, you know, like audiences will be invited to lie down, to sit down during the amalgamation choir, to be involved in making the sound. And then in the polydrama work, well, it's a queer work. And, you know, in a queer work, there is always an element of risk and danger and party and excitement. And so, I mean, those are the, those are the combination, the, the, the tapestry of it. But really, I might throw to Maria, like part of why we approached this was also our thinking around the venue and our thinking around um, yeah, how we create an experience. So, Maria, like, I mean, how did we approach that? I'm going to, I was thinking the word experience that, like, it describes a lot to answer your question, what we want the audience to to feel. I think it's to be part of an experience. And because of the space being a black box, we thought that what's interesting about the space is that we tend to to always hear that you need to think outside the box, the idea of outside the box. But we are in a space and we are given the chance to experience to experience the inside of box, but see the different possibilities. And I think what's amazing with the whole festival in general is that there's so many perspectives and people coming from different cultures and different backgrounds and different political backgrounds or even individual histories um there's never one way of seeing things and we invite people to experience day in a black box but giving a lot of different perspectives of what that black box could be and offer them or invite them the chance to become whatever and whoever they want in that time slot that we have i think as well i'm just going to add to that maria i think we're 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 extending that offer to the artists as well. And so we're saying to the artists, actually, here's a space, come into this space and become whoever or whatever you want to. And so we're, we're giving them almost like a ticket or, a, or a, you know, we're a permission slip to, to be as, as radical as, uh, and as open and as curious and as experimental as they want to be. And and for these artists, for a lot of these artists, it, it's the first time that they're that they're putting up these performances in in Cyprus and, and in a country with uh you know the the political undercurrents of Cyprus. Cyprus is a post-colonial, post-conflict island. I mean, this is reality of our everyday life. And um, arguably, Cyprus's post-colonial and post-conflict status is 
inextricably intertwined with the idea of the Buffer Fringe Performing Arts Festival. I mean, if I follow you, this idea of space, which you just said, and particularly this year's theme, Pockets Beyond. Um, the literature suggests that arts and culture play a pivotal role in transforming intractable conflicts like the one in Cyprus. You are all uh, established artists who have experience with working in complicated political geographies. And my question is, how in practice, because we hear a lot of theory, but in practice, do you think arts and culture transform conflict? Because this question is huge. This Look, this question is huge, but also my initial instinct is that, and Bryce can correct me if I'm wrong, but here in Australia, we actually haven't dealt firsthand, I haven't personally as an artist, dealt firsthand with this kind of notion of, you know, conflict or, or deeply entrenched kind of conflict. I mean, I've... I've experienced it through my grandparents and their Cypriot roots. And I also, of course, have to acknowledge that the country that I live on was also colonised. But in terms of conflict that exists right now, as I'm creating and as I'm making, I haven't really experienced that. So I almost feel as though I can't speak from that perspective. Bryce, do you... You uh, probably I, have a different I think experience. I, I think I disagree. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> I mean, because I, I, I think the first thing that really struck me about the words you, you used were post-colonial and mm. post-conflict. And, I mean, I would really question if actually Cyprus or Australia are post-colonial or, or post-conflict. I think, in fact, we're very much living with um, very colonial ideas in, in, in both on both islands. We're also dealing with the aftermath and the trauma um, of, of colonisation and and we're trying to make sense of it. We're also um, trying to understand what reconciliation means and its possibilities, but also like this notion of being um, post-conflict. Well, I mean, there is a literal line, you know, down the centre of Cyprus, you know, like that's anything but um, post-conflict for me. I mean, it might be sometimes mundane and everyday or it might, you know, you might be able to easily sort of turn your back to it as you're in the shopping centre getting your groceries for the afternoon, but it's there and it's really apparent. Um, there's some strange similarities between Australia and Cyprus then, you know, like um, post-conflict, I think that if you were an Aboriginal Australian, you wouldn't feel that we were post-conflict. I mean, I think you'd very much feel like um, this land was never ceded and that colonisation has um, impacted so much of, of Aboriginal Australian life. So, I mean, I, I feel like in some ways we don't, I mean, Kat, I think you don't always acknowledge that context in your work, but it's there all around you all of the time. And in fact, you kind it's of... It's there inherently. Yes. I think that's. I think perhaps that's what, you know, you've put your finger on. And maybe I wasn't even aware of it because it's so kind of inherent and so just um, in what I do. I mean, I hear, and I think it's because of the word conflict, you know, like you hear the word conflict and I automatically think about physical stuff happening. Um, 
and not to say that there isn't in Australia, there absolutely still is, mm. but it's not, uh, I don't walk out my front door and encounter it. But I think it's also interesting because, like, you live with intergenerational trauma well, yeah. as a Cypriot yeah. Australian. Look, I know? think it's what you were saying. It's 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 in my work, but it's in there because of because I'm in my work, and because the things these things I have inherently internalized, and so they're bound to come through in what I do. But do I sit there and consciously think about them? No. I mean, I think that also, like, one of the because I'm now, like, I'm hearing this and I'm also thinking about, like, all of the different contexts that I've worked in, you know, around the world in Australia and, and globally. And I actually think this this crisis of identity, like, who are we, is actually a global phenomenon right now. And, is, and we're seeing it play out in so many contexts, hmm. you know, like, whether that is, I mean, here in Australia, what, do, what, what does it mean to be an Australian when... Um, you know, the large bulk of the population here have come from overseas. Are we really Australian? You know, how do we define this? But also, you know, like, what does it mean to be a Greek Cypriot? What does it mean to be a, a Turkish Cypriot? Um, but, you know, you see it play out in, in Western countries right now. Like, obviously, there's a huge question in America, like, um, who are we as a nation? Like, are we, um, you know, Trump's version of America or are we a different sort of version of America? We see it playing out in, in Britain. We see it play out in Africa, um, in Asia, in all sorts of different contexts. But I, you know, and I'm I'm all for... Um, political work and work that kind of goes right into the heart of politics. But I'm also, like, really interested in works that can shake up the human animal and create experiences that we can't always put into words or into ideas, into concepts, you know, to feel something, to hear something, to feel something extraordinary or to see something that I can't explain and I can't make sense of it, but I was there in a theatre and I, I saw it and I experienced it. And in some ways, like, I really hope that art um, can just rattle the human animal right now because if, if we can achieve that, then maybe, you know, we can get beyond these questions of who are we and, you know, and, and, and almost aim for something greater. And, and that happens when you make something personal. And I've always said this to Bryce because... He is interested in capital P politics and I most definitely am not. <laughs> I'm interested in in the politics that comes from the personal. Mm. And I, I, I've said to him time and time again, my work is but is very banal, it's very everyday. I quite often uh, use a lot of, you know, verbatim techniques in my work um, because the personal is so interesting to me and it's so interesting to me because it absolutely is political and you, you can't you can't tell a personal story you can't go and have an encounter with another human being without politics emerging or rearing itself somehow somewhere and i, I think we, we can't forget that because that is absolutely where the power of this festival lies we're not just putting on shows. We're actually, we are putting on shows and, and, and we're actually putting on amazing shows and we're showcasing amazing art, but we're bringing people together and inevitably that that has to be a political act. It can't not be. Uh, 
Um, and of course, one of the ways, Maria, as you know, to one of the ways to transform conflict is through debunking gender norms. And your work, a particular work of yours in 2012, interests me specifically with that regard. Because in 2012, you curated and directed the exhibition performance Vagina Monologues, so Eve Ensler's 1996 work. In that sense, um, how do you think um, deconstructing traditional gender norms could pave the way for social change and conflict transformation, um, particularly given that you're also queering the conversation in Buffer Fringe this year? <laughs> um, oh, takes me way back, 2012. I think I'm talking about my own way of working and it doesn't mean that that's the way that it, things should be like I think each artist has their own way of wanting to create and produce work I've experienced that every time you bring community together it's all there's always an impact because it's different to go and see a show and feel like someone is telling me what to think and it's different when you have a group of people sharing their thoughts on some on something specific. So going back to the 2012 um, project, for me, because it's a, it's a well-known um, play, and for me it was challenging to give to give this opportunity to other discipline to other art disciplines to try and explain something um, from their perspe- perspective. I'm a strong believer that you can make an impact without using words. And I, I do believe that because we, we don't all communicate in the same language, but arts give us the opportunity to create impact. Um, we can all go to, to an exhibition space and watch a painting and have feelings. And I think that that's a strong impact. And I think that if you want to create art in order to to create a dialogue, you should have that in mind. And um, yeah, and actually, based on that work, I want I really wanted to do that again to do a series of that work and then give give the same monologues but to 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 male artists and see their perspective because I, I found it interesting how they would translate female monologues because for me some things even though gender is um it's a it's a sensitive um, subject some things in life i think are human instead of seeing them and defining them by their gender or their does that make sense oh yeah mm. it does what's what's interesting like the um one of the works that I programmed at Theatre Works mm-hmm. during our um, queer season, because it would always be a queer season every year, was uh, an offshoot of the vagina monologues, which was the butch monologues, which was about the experience of butch identifying queer people. Um, and I think that there's something about, like, these these works, like the vagina monologues and then the butch monologues, where it's so raw you know, like just there, someone's words and reading someone's words out. Um, sitting in the vagina monologues, you can actually be moved and your perspective can open and change and shift. Um, 
Because it's deeply personal. Because it's deeply personal. There you go. There you go. I mean, is there, you know, like, is there a Cypriot vagina monologues? My dear, our next project, maybe. (laughs) I mean, I, I stumbled upon it by accident, like in the library when I was 17 years of age, and it only had been out, I reckon, for three or four years. And because, like... 50% 50% of the 50% of my sexuality is interested in vaginas and 50% is interested in other things, you know, like um, I think that I think probably the name was like the reason why I picked up the book, but I can just remember that it was the most transformative experience reading reading about it, you know, like I I mean to this day I can always remember, you know, like I'd never had heard that experience expressed. And, and of course, my mum and my sister or aunties don't talk like this, frankly, you know. So, yeah, like what, like I think the idea of how, how, how boys connect to it as well is also really interesting. Mm. And I, I just remember that when I was trying to um, apply or um, apply to get funding for the specific play, I remember people asking me, oh, vagina monologues again? we've seen that we've seen that we've seen you know and it makes me think so we had enough listening about that but we haven't we're not done about listening other things like let's say political things that uh, there's a cycle of going back and back and I think it shouldn't be like that you shouldn't exclude one subject to another and there's always space if there's space to talk about one thing, then there's definitely space to talk about our sexuality and how we are exploring and how through time things change and how we react in that change. Because I think it's part of our, not not I think, it's part of our lives as human beings. Absolutely. Especially given that how patriarchy and ethnic division in Cyprus is intertwined. I'm so serious. You should make something with vagina monologues next year. And funders, please. (laughs) We already have three curators. I'm all, I'm already talking for your name. (laughs) But yes, it would indeed be interesting. In any case, um, dear Bryce, Kat and Maria, thank you very much for accompanying me in this very special 10th episode of SESA. Um, speaking with you has been enlightening for me and I look forward to participating to the ninth edition of the Buffer Fringe Performing Arts Festival on 7th, 8th and 9th of October. Dear listeners, for more information on the festival, please visit the festival's webpage and its social media pages. Thank you for listening. Please feel free to like, comment or share this 10th episode of Sesta Buffer Fringe Special Series and Island Talks and follow us on social media. Stay healthy, stay with peace, stay tuned. The first trilingual podcast station of Cyprus, Island Talks, open, diverse, free.